How are we doing, guys? Welcome back to the Gaelic Gridiron Podcast. We have a bit of a college football special for you on this episode. Uh, and joining me from the College Football Network and the College Shops, the College Chaps Podcast, uh, it's Mr. Oliver Hodgkinson. Oliver, welcome. Thanks for having me, man. Really, uh, really looking forward to talking some college football. It was great to to catch up with you over in Dublin when the, the Fighting Irish and Navy were over. I'm just representing Navy tonight, so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was great to catch up with you. I enjoyed talking to you. I'm looking forward to, to chatting some more ball this uh, this Wednesday evening, as we're talking now. Thought of the Navy teacher when you jumped online, and I I bit my tongue. I'm not I'm not going to say it. And you were put in your place in the Aviva Stadium, so I think enough <laughs> enough was said on the pitch. Um, but yeah, look, it's been a, it's been a, a mental first couple of weeks of, in in the college football season. You know, some really surprising results, some results that haven't been as surprising. Um, Let's start by talking about Alabama and Texas because that kind of came out of nowhere a little bit, didn't it? It's an inter- it's an interesting one because obviously um, Alabama came into the game ranked third overall. Texas were eleventh overall in the AP poll, and you know historically that's a game where you look at and you'd say Alabama is a favorite. Um, Texas has, has had a couple of seasons where they've been um, not up to um, their standards. Um, certainly within the Big 12. There's certainly, um, from a national perspective, it's been a while since they've been really nationally relevant. But I think you look coming into this season, you know, re- rewind into the preseason. For me, I think there were a lot of questions over this Alabama team. I think when you looked at the landscape of college football um, for Texas, a great roster, a great opportunity to to do something special this season. And obviously, they, they played Alabama close last year. Um, they were a Quinn Ewers injury away from 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 doing Alabama last year. So um, I, I kind of feel like going into this game, those two teams were, were from a national perspective, viewed maybe the wrong way around. Certainly in mm. um, the power rankings that we write at College Football Network, certainly from my own personal opinion, I, I kind of felt like Texas, to me, although it was in Tuscaloosa, Although, you know, Nick Saban and Alabama are this, this behemoth of college football that you can never write off. I always felt that Texas had a really good chance of, of, of pulling out a, a great result. Um, and the, the game was closer than the scoreline suggested, let's be honest. Yeah. You know, Texas pulled away in the fourth quarter. Um, but they really flexed their muscle of what they can be this season um, across the board, whether that be the performance of Quinn Ewers, whether it's those wide receivers, you know, Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell. There's there's a whole heap of talent in that wide receiver room. The running back, they managed to get a run, the ground game going. And the, the offensive line was superb. And then the defense was so ferocious and... You know, you look at a guy like Anthony Hill Jr., a true freshman showing up on the national stage in, in Tuscaloosa. He was he was incredible, but the whole Texas defense was was ferocious. And I think Steve Sarkeesian said after the game, look, they knew they needed to come out and be aggressive. That's exactly what they were that they were. And and it and it puts them in a great situation going forward, Texas, where the, there's now more questions about what Alabama can be, where they end up this by the end of this season. How key has the development of Quinny Ewers been to the success of Texas? And they're 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 currently ranked fourth. Like, do you see him having kind of finally grown into the player that he was promised to be when he came out of high school and went to Ohio State first? You know, do you see something special in him? There is. Um, there's certainly something special in. Him. I thought 
what for me, and, and don't get me wrong, I, it was a great performance by Quinn Ewers. There were some bits and pieces that you'd like to see cleaned up. It wasn't wasn't a consummate performance of quarterbacking by by you know any stretch of the imagination. But what I thought was really impressive was how he was cool, calm, collective control in that yeah. environment with that expectation, with that weight of pressure that. You know, a lot of people talking about Texas, the final year in the Big 12. This is their, you know, their opportunity to go out on a high from the, the Big 12. So there's that level of expectation there. I thought he did a great job of, of, of being calm and controlled in that moment. Um, and it was, it was great seeing something Steve Starkeesian touched on again after the game was some of the, the best plays that you saw from Texas on Saturday night were Quinn Yu was, was realizing and recognizing. You know, coverages and uh, motions and shifts from from the Alabama defense, and being able to recognize that and say, "Look, we we can do this. We can take advantage of this, this, and this." Uh, and I think from a from a young quarterback perspective, who you know, like you say, this is a kid who came out of high school with such high expectations, and he, he spent that year at Ohio State, and then he came to Texas. He was injured last year. I think you'll see as the down the stretch of the season, he's really going to develop into into a really high caliber college football quarterback and ultimately NFL draft prospect. How significant was the fact that this this defeat came in Bryant Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa, a, a hostile environment, and that must be a massive uh, boost of, of morale for Texas this early in the season. And it sees them currently ranked fourth, um, which is the highest I can remember them being ranked in recent memory anyway. Yeah, it, it's huge to come into a place like um, like Brian Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa. Again, Steve Sarkeesian touched on it. Like he's he's been there at Alabama. He's seen teams come to that stadium and rock up already demoralized before they've even kicked, the game's even kicked off. So, so for Texas to come to that stadium, stand firm, play as well as they did, get the result that they did. Um, it, it's, it's, it's for nothing that this game had been circled, I think, for a lot of Texas fans, college football analysts, media. This game has been circled. A week two game, you know, there's a, there's, there's a whole stretch of the season to go, but this game is circled for a reason on the Texas schedule because it is and was undoubtedly the toughest test, the biggest game with the brightest spotlight. And they, you know, they passed that test with flying colours. And now, Look at the schedule down the the rest of the the road for Texas. There probably isn't a game as hard as that Alabama game, and you're only going to grow injuries aside. You know, anything could happen. We've seen you know Aaron Rodgers from the New York Jets on Monday night. Anything can happen from an injury perspective, but feels like it's all set up for, te- uh, for Texas to to grow into this season now and really live up to the potential of that that roster. Where does this leave Alabama, though? I mean, you know. They used to be the, the most feared team in the in the country, the the giants of the SEC. Uh, to me, it kind of it's it seems like they're they've fallen off a little bit. I mean, they didn't make the final fo- the college football playoff last year. From this vantage point, they're unlikely to make the college football playoff again this year. So there's no way they beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. So you know where does Nick Saban and his once vaunted Alabama go go from here? Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know they've they've now got their entire SEC schedule ahead of them. They could legitimately get to the SEC championship game. I, I'm not super high on what Georgia are doing and, and can be 
um, down the stretch of the season. So I don't think it's necessarily the the walkover that, that people think it might be. So there is there is still a chance for Alabama. It is difficult, obviously, with a with one loss on your resume. But if they win the SEC national, you know, the SEC championship. We've seen historically the SEC champion as a shoe in for the Final Four, mm. um, so it, it is still possible. I think for Alabama, there's there's still lots of questions. You know, Jalen Milrow is a, a passing quarterback. Who is he? How good is he? What can he be? Yeah. Uh, and that question still, you know, it was coming into the season, but it was they were so late making that announcement of who would be the starting quarterback at Alabama, which is so unlike what we've become used to. You know, we've seen Mac Jones, Bryce Young, Tua, that that hierarchy, that preparation for the next guy to come along. And it just hasn't been that way for the Alabama quarterback situation yeah. this year. And then you've got the offensive line isn't as quite strong as some Alabama um, offensive lines we've seen in recent years. So there's there's lots of question marks there about this team. But again, it comes back to you can never really rule out a Nick Saban team until they're, they're over and out and done and you know, we'll we'll see how they progress in in SEC play because S- the SEC teams haven't looked like they're blowing the doors off opposition. You know, LSU obviously spanked by FSU on the opening day. Georgia haven't been super impressive in either of their games. Um, there's lots of question marks over the SEC conference as a, as a whole. Um, yeah. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see. I, I don't think you can ever rule Alabama out, but. It certainly feels like, and coming into the season, I think it felt like it as well, that this was going to be a special college football season because there's so many unknowns for so many teams that traditionally have been a known quantity coming into the year. So there was, it's super exciting. It's played out that way through two weeks. I think it's going to play out that way down the stretch of the season as well. And I think anything really legitimately could happen over the next 10 to 12 weeks. Speaking of anything could legitimately happen and another trending program in the world of college football, the Colorado Buffaloes. I mean, what the hell is going on in, in, in Boulder with Deion Sanders? Is is there something magic in the water? Because they've come out of nowhere. They they bet TCU in a massive upset on week one in Texas and then sold out their stadium in their, for their first home game and defeated Nebraska. And they look like legitimate national championship contenders under Deion Sanders. It's um, there's a lot of, of analysts having to eat humble pie and <laughs> eat their words, and well, I'm one of them because I don't think anyone could have predicted the immediate success that Colorado has seen. You bring in so much of football is um, finding cohesion and gelling a team together and finding consistency and that's why you talk about you know when you look when you you do preseason reviews you talk about is the quarterback coming back how many of the offensive line are coming back how good was the offensive line that they bring back from the previous year and building that cohesion and so when you look at Colorado with a team of 80 plus new faces there's like legitimate questions how that whole thing would work out um and it's working out pretty well so far for those guys. And you can't rule out the Dion effect. Obviously, this I think if it wasn't Dion Sanders who was the head coach, because there's there's a lot of programs who had a lot of roster turnover. You look at Jay Norvell at Colorado State, he brought in a whole new um team to that program. And FSU are doing huge things in the transfer portal. Ole Miss are doing huge things in the transfer portal. Well, they don't create that national buzz and attention that, that Deion Sanders has brought to yeah. Colorado. And Part of that's 
how Dion is, you know, how he's been with the media from the get-go, how he's been with the players at Colorado, with the fans at Colorado from the get-go. But to see that product... Primetime effect. It's the primetime effect. It is. It very much is. Um, but to, to see the, the on-field um, performance against TCU... Now, I wasn't super high on TCU, and, and they, they said in the, the game broadcast... National Championship runner-up TCU. This isn't that team that went to the National Championship last year by any stretch of imagination. Lots of missing pieces. So I, I feel like TCU were kind of a little overrated going into the game, but that doesn't take anything away from you know Colorado, a team that ranked pretty much rock bottom in nearly every single statistical metric. And then we watched the products on the field last year and it was god-awful to watch. But, you know, it's it's awesome to watch. It's been successful so far. You know, you mentioned the Nebraska game there. Another program with high expectations with a new coach in, in Matt Rule. Curb stomped by, by Colorado. They're going to have national cameras, college game days there for the game against yeah. Colorado State. Like this, this unprecedented attention. Great skill players on both sides of the ball. You know, we're talking about Travis Hunter and Shadow yeah. Sanders as legitimate Heisman contenders. Like this is awesome if you're a Colorado Buffaloes fan. Is it sustainable down the whole stretch of the season? Who knows? Because we no one expects it to be this good to start with. So no one knows how, whether they can sustain it when injuries start kicking in. If a if a defeat comes in, how is that locker room going to react? There's a lot of unknowns like down the stretch of the season. But they're nationally ranked now for a reason, and I think they deserve that national ranking for sure. Um, it's just it's again, it's super exciting to watch it all play out. You, you talk there about Shadur Sanders, of course, um, coach coach Deion Sanders' son, a quarterback, but also Travis Hunter, probably one of the most talented college football players in America right now, playing both sides of the ball. He's a starting wide receiver and a starting cornerback. I mean, that's just unheard of. I, th- he's, I think he played something like 88% of all possible snaps against Nebraska, which is, which is just insane. So, like, is that sustainable? And... It, God forbid if they do lose him to injury, does does that put a damper on their season? Is it sustainable? Is is probably no. The answer to that is is no. He, I, I don't. He's he's clearly an ultra fit athlete. Uh, and I, I we were talking about this. Um, I hope it was on Twitter or on a, in a group chat. And someone was saying uh, about oh going for a for a beer on a Friday. I don't think Travis Hunter's going for a beer on a Friday night. He's not Johnny Manziel by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so he's he's not you know obliterating his body off the field as well as as on it as but that you can't even begin to imagine the the toll that that takes on you playing 120 I think it was 129 snaps they played on uh, across both sides of the ball in that it's, season. Absolutely nuts! Like for for you know for as fit as an athlete as he might be. That's not like that's not like just running around. That's putting serious stress in your body and all the hits, especially playing the physical position of cornerback as well. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, I think you saw in that opening game, um, there was a little bit of fatigue with him that started creeping in at times. Um, so you you can look at that one game. That's not sustainable down the stretch. So the question then for Travis Hunter is, where is he best utilized? And I think for for Colorado, it's certainly at the cornerback position. Because they have got so much offensive talent, You've, we saw in the the Nebraska game, guys like Xavier Weaver come to the fore, um, but they have got so many different 
high quality wide receivers. They've got great running backs who can handle a workload. They've got great running backs who can handle a passing, uh, a receiving workload out of the back uh, backfield as well. So I don't think he's as much needed in the offense as he is on the defense, which gives him a great opportunity to then with, go and be a defensive contender for the Heisman because mm. Heisman voters have already seen what he can do offensively. He already had more. Um, he's already had more receptions in two games than Charles Woodson had the entire season when he won the Heisman as a cornerback from for Michigan. Um, so that's there. That that element of playmaking ability that helped Charles Woodson win the win the Heisman is we know that. Travis Hunt has that. So now go out and show that for a whole season you can be a dominant cornerback. Maybe return a punt or two. Uh, and that, and that's it. That's that's all he needs, I think, to, to be a legitimate defensive contender for the Heisman. And with with all the, the colleges that are jumping off out of the Pac-12 like rats from a sinking ship, what happens, what, what becomes of the Buffalo now or the Buffalo's next season? Do you, do you, do you, see, do you foresee the Pac-12 completely folding as a conference and the remaining four teams, I think it's scattering to other divisions or other conferences or, you know, what's your kind of take on that? Yeah. So obviously the um, Colorado jump ship um, with the, um, with Arizona, Arizona state um, to uh, the big 12. So the big 12, we, we talked about on this, on the, uh, on our podcast last night, the big 12 have kind of been very proactive in mm-hmm. making sure they stayed alive in this whole, um, realignment shuffle um, and obviously the Big Ten have, have, have done a good job of that as well the ACC and the SEC a little bit slow off the mark but the SEC and obviously they've got Texas and Oklahoma they kick this whole realignment cycle off and they're happy with the, the teams that they've got um, which, which just leaves Oregon State and Washington State at, with Pac-12 which is turning really nasty um, in terms of what the the outlook looks like, they've already taken the Pac-12 to court. Stop, mm. basically the Pac-12 disbanding and the assets being distributed between the teams that are, are leaving. So a lot of teams, Washington, Oregon, USC, UCLA. I think they looked at this as the Pac-12 disbanding would be their divorce, breakup, payout that they would then use to fund. Um, however many seasons in the in the new conference, because you look at yeah. several of the teams that have left the Pac-12 for new climbs, aren't going to get a share of the TV money. You look at SMU, SMU aren't going to get anything from the ACC for I can't, it's, it's into 2030s. Um, so I think a, a, a number of the Pac-12 teams that have been moved out or have chosen to move on to new conferences thought, well, the Pac-12 is going to disband. We're going to use that money to help offset those losses. Well, Oregon State and Washington State, rightly so, they're like, right, well, we're not going to just allow you guys to up ship, leave us stranded because that's exactly what they are right now. They're, they're stranded in no man's land. Um, so they're fighting for, for their lives, which is, you know, Oregon State's a great football program this year. Washington State's got off to a great start as well with Cam Ward at quarterback. Not He doesn't get the national recognition. You know, that's kind of part and parcel of playing it. You know, what is four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning for us, you know, midnight, one o'clock AM um on the on the East Coast. A lot of those players, a lot of those teams do do get overlooked. So but for the for the Buffaloes, I think if they can maintain um 
with Dion there, bringing in you know the the, the recruiting cycle this time around is going to be huge. They've, he's shown already he can bring in big name recruits as well as bringing those guys with him from the transfer portal. I think the Buffs are, are set up for a sustained success if they uh, if they just keep Coach Prime at the helm. They shock the nation and get a college football playoff spot. I think that's. I think that's difficult, and and there's multiple reasons why it's difficult. Um, the Pac-12 is hasn't had a representative in the college football playoff for years. In Washington, were the last team to represent the Pac-12, but the nature of that pro of that conference is so cannibalistic. Mm-hmm. It used to be that used to be the joke, right? It'd be like USC would lose to a Colorado on a Friday night, and that'd scupper their chances of the college football playoff. Well, you know, Colorado isn't that joke team anymore. All these teams are going to take games off each other because the Pac-12, as, as daft as it sounds, for a conference which is dying and is, is essentially dead, so much talent in yeah. that conference. You know, USC are a great team. Washington are a great team. Oregon, Utah, two-time Pac-12 champions, a great team having some struggles without quarterback Cam Rising, but they're still 2-0. They've still got you know win over Florida on their record as, as whatever that counts with Florida being the program they are right now. But... You know, there's there's so many great teams. So I think that is that's the the biggest stumbling block to Colorado getting anywhere near the um college football playoff is they're gonna have to overcome one of those teams. And, yeah. and that's a very different proposition to, you know, beating up on a TCU or a Nebraska when you start talking about the quality that USC, Washington, Oregon and, and Utah are all possess. As a Notre Dame fan, I, I need to get your opinion on if they are legit and can they win the big games? Because in the past, that's what scuppered them is they couldn't win the big games. You know, they, they fell to Ohio State last year. Uh, they, they, they lost to Georgia at home a couple of years ago. And the two biggest games on Notre Dame's schedule this year are Ohio State at home and um, um, yeah, USA. USA. USC at home. So, from from your point of view, do you see Notre Dame overcoming those challenges and somehow getting to getting back to the playoffs? I don't think there's a better time to play Ohio State than this season. Uh, how many times, as as a Notre Dame fan, how many times have you can you remember a time when you play Ohio State and Notre Dame has a quarterback? I know Ohio State has a lot of question marks in the quarterback position because, you know, I don't remember it any time recently, but, oh. you know, the Fine Irish have got a guy in Sam Hartman. Yeah. Uh, Ohio State have got a lot of question marks about Kyle McCourt. Um, and our offensive line, you know, again, Notre Dame's offensive line, we saw it in Dublin, we've seen it since in, in, in you know, East Tennessee State. It's not a great example, but NC State, first real what you would call competitive game, a Power 5 program. You know, they, they look great. Even after that severe weather delay, they look great. Yeah. The offensive line is awesome with Blake Fisher and Joe Alt and the, the the guys on the interior who there was a lot of questions about. They've looked great as well. Audric Estime is one of the most terrifying running backs in college football. So he's like, a big I, man. Like, if you ever stood beside him, he's not particularly tall. He's only about... But he's, I say he's, he's only scratching six feet tall, but he is just and like I, I met him back in May, and he's gotten bigger since. Like it's just it's insane. The, the thing is, was well, it, you know, like you say, he's a he's a very stocky built running back, but he's got some sneaky athleticism. Yeah. You saw that that eighty yard touchdown run to, to 
open the qu- second quarter against uh, NC State was in, was awesome. Um, so so from that that game perspective against Ohio State, there's a lot of ticks in the Notre Dame box. I think that's probably they've they've probably got the best chance of winning that game um, that, that they've had recently. Then USC is an unknown because obviously. Caleb Williams is is incredible. Notre Dame. I was so impressed with the Notre Dame defense in Dublin, um, from from front to back. You know the 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 cornerback duo of Benjamin Morrison and, and Cam Hart. Are, are, everyone knew they were great coming into that game, but there was a lot of questions about the defensive front. Well, they, they were awesome. They were flying to the ball. Linebackers were incredible. Um, so I think the Notre Dame defense can certainly. Um, go toe-to-toe with the the USC offense, which is going to be the struggle for every team that faces USC this year, trying to maintain, sorry, contain Caleb Williams, that like 20-deep, five-star wide receiver room that they've got. Um, the question with USC is, is how good is that defense or how much better than last year is that defense going to be when they face a stern test? Because they've looked better this year so far. You know, offensively, they're murdering people left, right, and center. The defense, I don't really feel like it's had a a real test. San Jose State in week zero was probably the biggest test that they've had because the Nevada game, Nevada weren't great. Stanford, they're still, you know, building first year head coach in, uh, well, first year FBS head coach in Tory uh, Taylor. He's bringing his own thing to Stanford. That's going to take some time. So I don't really see Stanford as being a, a test of that defense either. So time will tell whether that USC defense really is better this year once they face some serious competition because that's that's the only thing holding that program back because there's not a lot holding Caleb Williams back. So as it stands right now going into week three, the rankings are top four, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State and Texas. How much do you see that changing between now and when the first set of college football playoff rankings are released in kind of December time? It's going to be interesting because um, Georgia, Georgia is, they started obviously as a national championship, they started as everyone's preseason number one. They've won both their games, so we've seen previously the AP poll and the, the college football playoff rankings as well. They're not prone to dropping a team if they win a game. Unless the teams around them do something really magical, it's going to take a lot for Georgia to drop down there. So Georgia's SEC schedule isn't really that hard. So Georgia could legitimately go into the college football, the first set of college football playoff rankings as the number one ranked team. I don't think they're the best team in the country right now by by a long shot, honestly. Um, but all they've got to do really is keep winning, and they'll they'll hang on to that one spot. Michigan have looked good. They've looked, you know, not great tests, ECU and UNLV, um, but they've looked good. They've been strong on defense. And again, that's another another program with a defense that's loaded front to back. Um, and then JJ McCarthy's looked like the real deal. Their offensive line is always incredible. Blake Carham and Donovan Edwards as a running back duo are just insane. Um, so, so Michigan really kind of, their tests are Penn State and Ohio State in the Big Ten. Um, and they obviously they don't get Ohio State until later on in the year, so they could legitimately be it too. I think FSU is the best team in the country, um, and they've really that the LSU game was the was the I think the major test. 
They've got Clemson. I think they can easily roll Clemson because that's a program that's really in trouble. Big, big trouble down there in, in South Carolina. I think you saw Dabo's face after that drop to the Duke in week one. That man was shell shocked. He he had no idea what just hit him. And I think the Duke game was going to be a trap game for Notre Dame as well in the ACC. Now that now that we that we're talking about Duke, Duke a really good football team, man. And 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 this was one of the things. Coming into that game, you mentioned yeah, Dabo being shell-shocked. I, I don't know how you could be shell-shocked as a head coach in the ACC that Duke came out and played the way they did because the writing was on the wall last year when you look at that program. Great quarterback in Riley Leonard. Graham Barton at left tackle, one of the best left tackles in the country. Mike Elko's got that defense. Like we mentioned, Notre Dame's defense. Mike Elko's got that Duke defense absolutely flying to the ball. And they might not have headline household names, but guys like Dwayne Carter, Jamie and Franklin, Jalen Stinson, um, there's there's a whole host of talent, again, front to back. So I think Duke are, are probably the third best team in, in the ACC, as you look at it right now, between FSU and, and North Carolina. Um, so in the in the preseason, you'd say that that Clemson game was the, was the marquee game for SSU. You'd be shocked if Clemson beat FSU. And, and, and don't get me wrong, it's it's easy to beat up on Dabo, and it's easy to beat up on Clemson. Um, they'll they'll find something. They'll not be completely beat down forever, but they've got to they've got to do something because yeah. Cade Klubnik, you know everyone everyone beat up on DJ Younger lately before he, he left for Oregon State. Cade Klubnik was the guy who was going to come in. I, I've not seen anything from Cade Klubnik in the the games he played last year, the spring game. I watched a, a Clemson spring game and. There's a lot of high, wide, and handsome stuff from Cade Klubnik, and you saw that again in the Duke game. Um, they, str- I mean, they struggled early on against Charleston Southern. You know, that's that's you know, you've got to. That, that says it all, really. That Clemson's dominance is in the rearview mirror, really, in in the ACC and nationally. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think so for sure. I think and, and FSU uh, are back to being a nationally relevant program for the first time in in years and that's a testament to what Mike Norvell's done with that program we mentioned the, you know the Dion effect Mike Norvell has has mined the transfer portal as well as anyone else you can think of in college football when you you look at that roster you know Keon Coleman from Michigan State who absolutely went off, off in that LSU game Jared Verse is probably the best defensive player in college football right now transfer portal Braden Fisk he got out of Western Michigan this last time around Ventral Cypress at cornerback, another uh, guy they picked up out of the port from the ACC, from Virginia. You know, Mike Norvell is doing such a great job of building that program through the transfer portal. It's taken him a minute. It doesn't seem like a minute ago since people were kind of putting pressure on Mike Norvell and, you know, calling for his, his job. But he's done such a great job and it, it shows what can be done with patience, which isn't always easy to come by, especially in a, a state like Florida. You look at the Florida Gators and yeah, they were already calling for Billy Napier's head when he was the savior. Like he was going to be the savior a year ago, and he's already like calling for his head because the expectation's so high and the patience just isn't there. Um, but yeah, I think I think FSU are legit for sure. So that I, I don't see them dropping out of the the top four. And then Texas, we mentioned before, the the hardest game on their schedule is behind them, and there'll be there'll be some difficult games. Like Kansas State is always a tough team to play. Um. So there'll be some difficult games for Texas, but that, with that Alabama win behind them, it's. I, or I think that the only the only way that 
that top four changes in f- for you know in the eyes of the people who have put that top four together is like if USC roll you know roll a Notre Dame um, if they roll a you know an Ohio State that would probably sneak USC into that into that top four. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. And it's super exciting and intriguing to see what's going to happen with that top four because there's 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 a legitimate good number of teams who can make a case that they deserve to be in the top four. Like Washington, for example, you know, talk about the Pac-12. Washington's a great team. I'm, I'm very high on Washington. Um, but they're, right now, they're going to be on the outside looking in, even if they, they win out. So this is likely going to go out on Saturday morning just before week three gets underway and you'll be in the middle of another college football marathon. And I, I look forward to keeping track of the scores via your tweets. But what what matchup coming up intrigues you the most um, this weekend? It's funny because uh, I won't name the national um, college football journalist who's, who called college football week three a dud. Um, which to me was hilarious because I think there's so many great matchups um, this week. There might not be, there might not be some, you know, the matchups that define the top four, for example. Um, but there's 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 so many great games. LSU Mississippi State, I think, is a is an important game in the SEC. That's a noon kickoff Eastern Time, five o'clock UK time. Um, that's I think it's a really important game to see how Brian Kelly's LSU team bounce back from. You know, that defeat to FSU when they have to play a, a, a you know a power five program and that's the start of the SEC campaign for them that's the start of their march back towards defending the SEC West so I think that's a it's a really important game I'm looking forward to watching Georgia Tech at Ole Miss Georgia Tech have got off to you know they're, they're one and one uh, but they they could be two and two and oh and they looked great early on against Louisville before they fell off in week one they they look great last week, beating up on um, HBCU team SC State. So I think that's a great game. BYU Arkansas was a great game last year. I think that's got lots of potential um, this time around. TCU Houston, two te- teams with kind of different pressure re- pressures for different reasons. You know, Houston coming off a loss to Rice, um, lots of pressure on head coach Dana Holgerson there. Um, I could go on, man. I actually think there's, there's so many great. San, so a game that no one is talking about because it features two group of five teams, but these are two contenders for their own conference is San Jose State and Toledo. Toledo reigning MAC champions. San Jose State have got a great chance, I think, in the in the Mountain West. Oh, two great high-powered offenses and two great quarterbacks who are capable of producing magic at the drop of the hat. It's like I think it's I can't even remember what time the kickoff is off the top of my head, but. Yeah, that's a game that I'm going to have a, an eye on. Um, Fresno State, Arizona State. If you really want to stay up till three thirty a.m., I think that game you kicks really off. Don't. That's that five p.m. <laughs> kickoff between LSU and Mississippi State sounds like it could be the one that I'll start off my viewing with. Um, listen, Oliver, look, absolutely fantastic talking college football with you. Really enjoyed take, getting your take on what what's been happening so far. And uh, listen, we'll we'll definitely catch up at some point during the season to talk more college football. Once we get towards the towards the winter, and you know the um, the college football playoff starts to take a bit of shape as well. Yes, yeah, so I really appreciate you having me on. Really enjoyed it. Go on, take care of yourself. <laughs> Cheers, man.